Hello and welcome to another episode of The Information Junkie. Today I am joined by my friend Abir and this week's topic is we read a book called The Art of Choosing and so this week we're going to talk about talk all about choosing and I think this is going to be a two-part podcast because whilst the book only has seven chapters it is a very dense book. I mean I, I quite enjoyed reading it but it is fairly dense and so we just thought it'd be better and more beneficial for everyone if we just covered it over two episodes okay abir yes hi i'm abir okay so um i'll just introduce the premise of the book so the book called the art of choosing is written by sheena ayangar and i'm very sure i butchered that pronunciation but Regardless, she talks about what choice exactly is and what kind of a role it plays in human life and what factors affect it, our preconceived notions about choice, etc. It's it's a, it's a very good read. Okay, so what were your key inferences from chapter one? Uh, sorry, just a little preface. Chapter one was about what choice actually is and whether it's instinctive to just human beings or other animals and what how our perception of choice actually plays a role. So what did you make of the chapter of your Um I found the first chapter really interesting like there were a lot of like key points that I actually never thought about or even like knew about about choice I thought it was just like a yes or no thing but I found out that there's so many different things I really enjoyed this chapter cuz like she kept it really relevant and stuff to I think anyone because she constantly used like references that honestly I wouldn't have thought about like analogies that related us towards animals and how choice can keep us captive but can also allow us to have a lot of freedom control over our our own lives but on the whole I think that this whole topic of choice is a very interesting one and she delves like very deep into it straight away in like the first chapter so I made some some notes on this chapter so the first thing that I made a note was of was um, that choice is instinctive, instinctive, despite of what we think about choice, um, that it's a freedom, that it's a liberty, that's, that's very much not the case. We pride ourselves on having choice, but uh, to make a bad pun, choice is not a choice. We're, we're very much born with the will to see alternatives. And that's exactly what choice is. It's the ability to see the alternatives and make a cost-benefit analysis of our options and our future actions. And I, th- and I thought that was very interesting to debunk the myth that, you know, choice is a choice. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying that because that was something I'm very <laughs> proud of. It was a pretty funny pun. But she said, uh, she also said, I think, that even if choosing doesn't make our future any better, we still want the choice, which is why I w- I've linked it to choice as instinctive. What do you think? Um, I think that even she talks about how choice gives you freedom but also how um the lack of choice can really allow um can create a sense of helplessness and like worry among all types of creatures and like one thing that i found really interesting was like when she talked about i don't remember which part of the chapter but she talked about the arden house study my friend mentioned the Arden House study, and I'll just explain it a little bit so everyone can picture what we're talking about. In the Arden House study, they used the nursing home and two floors of that nursing home. On the first floor, they gave the elders and people there the choice. They said, okay, what days do you want to watch a movie, and what kind of plants do you want to keep? However, on the second floor, 
the elders did, or the people in the nursing home did not receive that much choice. In reality, both floors had the same objects and the same things, but one floor had a lot more control, a lot more choice, and the second floor did not. As a result, the second floor, the one without choice, the people were not as happy. They didn't do as well. Whereas the first floor, they were really happy. They did really well. And this is all because of perceived choice. The outcome wasn't different, but perceived choice made the experience of that choice much better. And she talked about how the two different yeah. floors were given. One was given, like, they weren't really given a choice. They were just told what they were permitted to do, whilst the other floor was given a choice. So, like, you were, you can do whatever you want. Like, it's your responsibility to make it how you want it to be. And I thought that, and that led to the, to having, like, more responsibility and more control over how they want their lives to be. And overall, I think they were happier in comparison to the first floor people. And I feel like they had the same exact choices or options that were given to them. Yet they, with the perception of choice, felt that much happier or that much more in control. Because I feel like, you know, like when you're younger and um, your parents used to tell you to do something and you'd want to do that thing that much, like you didn't want to do that thing anymore, even though you were about to do it. I feel like it's kind of like a rebellious kind of thing. Like, if you tell me to do it, I don't feel like doing it anymore, you know? But I feel like if you make that own choice, then you you feel like you're in control and you can do, like, whatever you want. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Um, in fact, uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but the beginning of the chapter, she started with a quote. Uh, the gist of it was that freedom is the right to choose. And I thought that was very powerful because... Um, in any uh, freedom movement that's happened in our history, we're we're trying to we're trying to remove the oppressors, right? We want to have the choice to use our resources. When I say our, I mean a nation, nation's resources, how we the citizens deem it correct. So I th- I thought again that was a pretty interesting link. And despite what we think, uh, choice comes to human beings as other animals very instinctively. So another thing that I um that I noted was she talks a lot about perceived choice um, and she differentiates this because she says it doesn't matter how much choice we actually have. What matters is what, how we perceive our choice. So if we think that we, we have a lot of control, which is linked with choice, then we'll play positively to that. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Honestly, that kind of opened my eyes a little because Thinking about the perception of choice rather than just having choice in general is a very interesting thing because if you perceive choice in a certain way, it can like help make you or break you, honestly. Like and that also like links to like mindset, right? Like if you have like yeah. a fixed mindset or you have like a fixed idea about the choices that you've been stuck with, then you can't really go anywhere. But if you have if you can make your own choices and create other options for yourself, then you can also, like, break out and free yourself from whatever is holding you back. Yeah. I also noted here that um, whether perceived choice or actual choice, any form of control is very important for both mental and physical well-being. And I think um, the book goes into a study where they say that they asked, what, or rather they introduced the fact that they were looking at a corporate yeah chain where um employees from multiple pay grades were 
question about how much choice they have and how mentally and physically well they are. And not only did the study conclude that those with um, a higher pay grade are more mentally and physically uh, fit or healthy, it's because of the choice that they have, the choice to delegate, the choice of their daily actions. So I thought that was, that was a pretty powerful message as well, you know? We perceive choice uh, the way you want it, and you will receive the results yeah. for it. Because that, that, that was another key thing, right? She said, we can create choice and change perception. And the choice doesn't have to be very big for there to of be course, results. Of course, it's always the mind. We just need to perceive that control, yeah. Uh, anything else that I missed? Um, I liked how, like, throughout the whole chapter, she talked about, like, how she related us to animals and how, for example, like, they're kept in captivity. And even though they're set up with the perfect, like, life, basically, they're all safe from predators and everything, they still want to leave because they don't have the choice to do whatever they want. They're just given the same food every day. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you for yeah, just like ahead. a second. I'm going to reference the study okay, so good. that people know what we're talking about. Um, the study is, uh, she uses the analogy of a zoo and she talks about how animals are given, um, like everything they need, right? We don't just capture animals and put them in zoos because we want yeah. them to mistreat them, right? Um, but they have everything. But she talks about this fight or flight instinct that the animals can now, not, they don't have the choice to execute either fight or flight. So they're in a, state of heightened stress and they, they just can't relieve the stress like imagine a zebra in a cage next to a lion it can smell the lion it just can't run away and the, the lack of choice on the timing of food or the activities they can do uh, really affects them sorry go on yeah so i just thought that whole idea of like having the perfect life but still feeling like trapped because you don't really have a say in how it'll go so that kind of like it's the perception of perfect by another person that everything will be fine as long as you have it. But it's not really perfect for you because you don't have any say in how it'll go. And you just feel like caged like an animal, like the zoo analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more thing that I remembered uh, was that she does give a quote-unquote crash course into choice and how the structure of the brain comes into play. So I thought if, if listeners are interested, they can check out the book for that as well. Okay, so in the prologue, she talks about how yeah people believe, like some people, especially if they're like religious or anything, they may believe that choice and like things that occur to you, like events that occur, they're predestined or that it's just your fate and that you have really no power yeah. to overcome that or like change your path. But I think that in a way, like, I thought I thought of it that way as well. But, like, after reading this book, I was, like, amazed that, like, even, like, little minor things, I feel like I still believe in a way that, like, God will always try to guide us on the right path. But it's always, like, little choices, big choices, everything. I feel like good choices and bad choices, whatever we make of them, we have to make them to believe that we're in control to continue living our lives you know yeah i definitely buy that idea of making choices to make our own life in regards to that zoo experiment it says in short this is a quote this is a direct quote from the book in short zoo life is utterly incompatible with animal with an animal's most deeply ingrained survival instinct um and i made a note on the side saying that uncertainty is the worst um and i thought i'd link that because uncertainty 
essentially means that we don't have a choice in the outcome or we don't even have a choice in the inputs, right? And I thought that it was very interesting to look at it from a lens of COVID-19, where we do not have a choice on the outcome per se, like what's going to happen, but we can still make certain choices. Um, like, for example, if you say, I choose to stay inside, um, for example, you can make what you have to do a little bit better for you. And that way you, you, you perceive that you have a control on the outcome, which... Uh, is what I made note Yeah, I think, think especially during this, like, very uncertain time, I feel like it's the little choices that will keep us all sane during this quarantine, honestly. Like, if you think about it, like, when you have so little control in your life, like, right now, like, you have no say in whether you get to leave your house or not. I think the little things like, oh, I can be productive today or something, like, I feel like those little things really can help you get through this difficult time. Yeah, 100%. And on the uh, note of the physical consequences of lack of choice, I've actually highlighted a bit that says, captivity can often result in lower life expectancies despite objectively improved living conditions, which I thought was very interesting. When an animal relinquishes choice, or rather I should specify the choice to live by giving up control on many other things, they don't have the mental resilience to go on, which again, I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. That was very interesting, how even if you're provided with everything that you need, it's up to you to make of it what you can. And especially those people that, like, we're so blessed to have so many options to make these amazing choices in our life. But there's some people that aren't as blessed, and they still work with what they have to make better choices for their lives every day. And even, like, relating back to the first part of the first chapter where it talks about survival and choosing if you're in such a dangerous situation and choosing to fight back and like to fight for your own life like Callahan they really worked hard like even when everything was against them they still chose made a good choice for them when they could have just given up early on and not made it through yeah that's very interesting for me yeah Okay, let's move on to chapter. So uh, I'll introduce our listeners to this chapter. Uh, this chapter basically talks about cultural diversity and its effect on how we perceive choices. Uh, and she references a multitude of studies to prove her point, which, again, for anybody who needs more convincing, is perfect. Um, but before we get into the nitty-gritty details about how culture actually affects our um, perception of choice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I thought it's, it it was very funny that she used that anecdote of the of her traveling in Japan and asking for a green tea in with sugar. So, so for people who don't know, I'll just explain the anecdote. It goes that she was traveling in Japan and she was sitting at a coffee house or just just a restaurant, right? And she asked for green tea and she told the waiter that okay. I like my green tea sweet, so please get me a packet of sugar with it. And the waiter says, no, but that's not how you have your green tea. And she says, yeah, but I like my green tea sweet. And the waiter says, yep, but we don't serve green tea with sugar. Frustrated, she changes her order to coffee. And lo and behold, when the waiter gets there, he gives her coffee with two packets of sugar. Um, and she explains this in her book. She says, the waiter was merely trying to save me from a horrible faux pas, right? But she compares it to how in America or in Canada or the more Western parts of the world, um, if a paying customer makes a request that is feasible, then employees go out of their way to make that request happen, yeah. right? 
uh, I think it's a really interesting thing like the fact that someone would go out of their way to make sure that I feel like in this case she's avoiding a bad choice of taking that green tea with the sugar but yeah the ability to stop someone else from making a bad choice is also a big thing like but most people just give it a glance and walk away like they don't really mind if I feel like most people go about their lives as if it's not my problem it's as long as it's not happening to me it's fine yeah as long as the outcome of the choice is not upon me the choice I will relinquish as continuing on from what I said like the ability like People live their lives like if it doesn't if the bo- if the outcome doesn't bother me then it's fine. But I feel yeah. like the making the choice to like help or even like guide someone in the right direction is a big one because sometimes you may not know the outcome. Of course in this situation it's a little thing like the drink that she ordered, but sometimes if for example if you see someone like struggling with something and you want to help them and the choice might be a difficult one, but in the in the end, you know that it'll help them in a way that's greater than you just standing and not doing anything. I feel like those are really big moments in your life, and those are choices that are really difficult to make because they don't directly affect you. They affect others. So you can't really deal with the consequences of your own bad choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree. Um, in fact, that leads me very well on to the point of individualism versus collectivism. That's what you called it in the book. Um, and it's basically this I versus we thing um, in decision making. Um, and she says this is very culturally based. Uh, countries in the West are more I focused. So what benefits of the choice will come from this? Mm. And, you know, what is good for me? What do I yeah. need? And then she looks at the other end of the spectrum in more Eastern countries, particularly Japan, because uh, she was doing some research in Japan. She says it's more we-focused. What she means by that is that their um, individuals gain pleasure or a positive outcome from their choices when they fit in with a group. So they want to see, well, how can I maximize the pleasure of this group and the happiness of this group? Um, Instead of putting I, me, I first. And um, I will just reference the experiment that she conducted, or sorry, not the experiment that she conducted, the experiment that she reported on, uh, because I found that very interesting. Um, so she did an experiment with uh, several groups of children, actually, and they had to solve some puzzles. And there was a room of culturally diverse children, or there Asian Americans, white Americans, etc. cetera. Uh, I mentioned those two primarily because the difference is apparent between them, but it, it said that these um, group of racially diverse kids were, or ethnically diverse kids were separated into three groups, right? One where they could pick whatever they wanted to do. Second, where the person conducting the experiment told them what to do. And third, where their mom has, they had been told that their mom had made a decision um, for them for what to do. Yeah. Um, and the outcomes of this were very interesting to me. So it's reported that white Americans performed the best when they were able to pick their own task, right? When they were able to yeah. choose that, okay, I want to do this for this amount of time. 
And in fact, they spent considerably longer when they were able to choose in contrast to when the researcher gave it to them or when their mom had picked for them. In, in reality, all these three groups got the same stuff, but some perceived choice, right? Yeah. For experiment purposes. And the third group in which the kids had been told that their mom picked for them, the white American kids, like some of them showed embarrassment. Like They were like, oh my God, my mom picked uh, <laughs> for me. Um, but it was the, the opposite was true for Asian Americans, right? Where they performed the best when they were told that their mom picked for them. Yeah. And I, I found this very interesting, how, how culture can affect how you perceive choice and how much choice you perceive you have versus how much choice people you trust have, right? And in fact, she, she recalls like, she writes two anecdotes where one of the white kids said, oh my God, my mommy picked versus one of the Asian kids saying like, oh, can you please tell my mom that I really enjoyed what I did? Oh, I, I did so well. Cute. Yeah. So I was, well, what do you make of this? Honestly, I just want to say that that experiment is really sweet. And that it's very interesting to see the different, like how you said, how different cultures like and your upbringing can affect how you react to stimulus in different situations. And especially yeah. like when you think about how the um, Asian American kids reacted, how they were so glad that and so willing to accept what their mother chose for them. Whereas the white American kids reacted the opposite way. I just think that's amazing how the Asian American kids have so much trust and actually enjoy what their mother has chosen for them. That just shows that, like, in a way, the culture and, like, the way that they were brought up was to show that people who you trust can also make good choices for you. And you should, you can also respect that. But I feel like, in a way, in, like, more western cultures i feel like there's more it's more driven by independence and trying to make your own way in the world and make your own choices and i feel like that is really reflected in how the white american kids reacted to the situation and how they really thrived when they were given the opportunity to choose their the activity for themselves yeah 100 in fact that segues on to my next point very well my point is uh that how you're brought up can really be obviously affected by your cultural background but it also shows in our perceive um our perception of choice so our perception of choice is very much dependent on our cultural upbringing or just our upbringing which is influenced heavily by our culture right so the book gave an example you, you know that um i think it's like a tv show for kids or like a book as well like the little engine that can and he says i can i can and he always ends up doing everything <laughs> yeah and that just reminds me of thomas uh, like thomas the whatever engine the train engine <laughs> right um but then uh it, it it the book shows you that in more um eastern cultures like that's not the narrative that kids are told the kids are told look, you're, you're a great child, you'll do what mommy says, or you're a great child, you do what daddy says, you know? Yeah. I so think... I thought, um, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, like, I feel like also alongside, like, trust also comes obedience, I think, and discipline, which is quite common yeah. in Eastern cultures, I feel, I hope I'm right in saying this, but I feel like in Eastern cultures, there is much more of a discipline where you have to respect your elders, and that's a very common thing, like, in so many Eastern and Southeast Asian cultures, you see where you have to bow to your elders when you see them or just to people in general to show 
respect for them. And I think that just shows cultural upbringing and how that affected them as a person to always bow and like respect their elders. The next thing that I have written down is the Asian versus American narratives and choice in the workplace. So we've obviously covered what kids are like taught or what the book says these kids are taught, right? In different um, backgrounds. But then again, uh, this book mentioned a study where it compared like different employees of the same company uh, based on their ethnic diversity. And when they were all given like more choice, they saw that the white Americans responded with happiness in the sense, oh, look, we can choose, we can show our show our skill whereas the asian americans were like um job is a manager why aren't you managing this team excuse <laughs> me obviously that that was my attempt at satire but pretty good uh, pretty good the whole point is that there were two very separate reactions from people given their cultural background so i thought that was something we should highlight as well it follows in the book that she she uses the the separation of berlin during the cold war uh to make a point and the point she makes is that when the Berlin Wall fell, she said that she was in Spain, she went by, and she celebrated very much with these people. She was very happy that Germany was once again able to reunite. The Iron Curtain that had descended upon Europe had now gone away. You know, these people could rejoice. They were, after all, they were all German. Yeah. They would be very happy to have their home country back. However, the people who lived in East Berlin were obviously controlled by the Soviet Union, right? And they were communist in ideology. And she goes on to describe what freedom is in terms of choice. So you have a freedom from, which is freedom from social, political, etc. oppression, and freedom to, the ability to do things. And she explains that, or she quotes someone who explains that, this is a very fine balance, okay? You got to be on the spectrum somewhere between freedom from and freedom to, okay? Yeah. Uh, You can imagine this as sort of like America epitomizing freedom from because civil rights or human rights in that part of the world are very heavily emphasized. In fact, they are very much written into the commandments and the founding fathers of America were very big on this. And freedom too reflects more like you don't focus on what you don't have freedom from, but freedom too, for example, is in a communist state, yeah, okay, maybe you, you didn't have much choice of a vacation. She actually calls someone who says, okay, yeah, I did have much choice. I can only vacation in Hung- Hungary. But at least I knew I could vacation. Given that the, that capitalism has been introduced into our society, it's, it's very hard for us, you know? Um, we have the ability to do, or rather I should say the freedom to do many things, but we've lost our ability to do it. We don't have the money or the resources to be able to do this. So I think the point that she was trying to make was there has to be a very fine balance between freedom to and freedom from. What do you think? I agree with what you said about, and what she said about having fine balance between freedom from and freedom to and the fact that she quotes that a person is saying that they would much rather have like know that they have the freedom to go where like go to Hungary even if it's one small place but being locked away by your own like by your own problems and not having the freedom to do it because because you're unable to go to, like, different places, for example, like, how money and stuff is a big problem nowadays. And I feel like, yeah, if there's not a good balance, then it's not really 
it's only freedom for for one kind of from one side rather than that's absolutely full, true. like full freedom and even like for example if you had freedom from like any kind of like cultural or social or economic like problems or anything but you didn't have the freedom to act on whatever like act on like your own decisions and stuff then you would still feel as helpless as you would be if you had if you didn't have the freedom from of course you would feel helpless in a completely different sense you would feel helpless because you wouldn't have the choices you wouldn't be able to make your own choices but yeah it'd be like kind of like humans in the zoo kind of situation yeah okay my point about the berlin wall was in tandem with the next point that i was going to make and she talks about taxes as a system of freedom from and freedom to so she says that obviously when you pay taxes on anything so income tax or whatever there's some imposition on your freedom from like it's a duty like you have to pay tax so it's not a freedom from obligations but it's a great addition to freedom too right in your old age when you have a pension system and you have a good support system you have the freedom to do so many other things what do you think yeah i agree and i feel like tax as a on the whole i feel like is a good thing because as you see like many countries who have a tax system it works for some of them i i suppose you could like if you were to do this to more applicable like everyday situations i'd say exercise because when you when you do like drag yourself to your home gym um or your home workout space uh what happens is that you have an imposition of freedom from right it's an obligation you got to do it to stay healthy right yeah and but it's a great addition to freedom too so in your in, in the future when you when you're you know 60 plus 70 plus you you live a more active and healthy life so it's an in, it's a choice that is an investment in your future true and also i think about yeah. it you know how like the so for like the british curriculum you have to give up some of your subjects like when you move on to gcse's and then a levels and that's like you have to do it but the good thing that comes from it is that you get to like specialize not specialize in the sense but you get to like really focus on the core subjects that you chose and that just gives you the freedom to allow yourself to expand on those subjects that you want to expand on and you get to make that choice for yourself and i thought that yeah interesting well that brings us to an end of this episode where we've discussed chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this book please do comment like subscribe and share this podcast episode and this podcast if you have liked it you can follow me at the information junkie on instagram where i post updates about this very podcast tune in next week for another episode of the information junkie goodbye anonymous listeners thank you for having me bye